Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to another edition of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom. That's Joe. We are the co-hosts of Outside the Tank. We are the co-founders of Growth 10, a kick-ass community of entrepreneurs that get together in tribes and grow their business faster. Peer learning, best thing in the world. Phil Black, he was a Navy SEAL. Can you believe that? Yeah, he'd <laughs> kick your ass. He kicked my. He kicked both our asses, actually. He, he's you know, an older gentleman that still looks like he you wow. know just built like a brick house. Yeah. So Phil's an awesome guy. Phil was on Shark Tank twice. <laughs> yeah. So and it, did we learn that there was only two cases where uh, people are on twice to, to pitch a different? Product? I believe so, and I didn't know about the other one, but apparently there there was. I think Phil told us, or someone else told us, there was twice. So let, we're going to talk about each one. First, we're going to talk about Fit Deck. So this is season five. This is the oldest person we've talked to. We have, yeah. This is the first time we went back to season five, episode 15, an air date of January 24th, 2014. Um, Fit Deck was exercise cards. Right. Now, this probably sounds like the stone tablet to many of our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> but you have to remember in 2014, you know. <laughs> Fitness cards was actually fitness play yeah, cards. and, and you know, he was converting into an app or trying to. So and he was asking for three hundred thousand for twenty percent. So he valued the company at one point five million, and there was a lot of questions. Walk through what the sharks gave him in terms of feedback and where that ended up. It, yeah, first I want to uh, make sure you know that he had already sold a half a million of these units. These uh, fitness. Uh, playing cards over five years yeah over five years and so uh yeah cuba was out first and he he just said it was a brutal space and uh damon john looked at it and he said it's just it's not worth it he and and robert uh said there was something wrong with his margins i mean he was he was getting battered he was getting hammered but they loved him yeah uh they they loved him as a person but there was the one comment that said you know you are yale and harvard educated yeah. why are you selling trading cards <laughs> <laughs> do, you, how, do you remember who said it no i okay, don't okay. i don't have a note on it <laughs> and but what he told us is after getting beat up he'd he'd rather swim with real sharks which he's done in his navy seal training than swim with these sharks uh Lori says she she loved the simplicity of it but too much competition in the space and mr wonderful just didn't get it but he said we would love to have you back when you have another idea be careful what you wish for, because the Sharks got Phil back. They got him back season 11, episode 18. Six years later, he's back on April 3rd, 2020 uh, with Prep Well Academy. This is an online education platform 
for college admission. So beginning in about ninth grade, you're trying to get into college. You want to make sure that you have the right extracurriculars. You have the right grades. You're doing all the prep work so that by the time you're ready to apply, it's not too late to do these things. So he prepares, uh, you know, high school students to handle the college admissions and hopefully get to the college of their choice. Right. And uh, so it's an online a video-based subscription service for $15 a month. He was asking for $100,000 for 20% of the company. So we're going we're gonna to figure out what happened here. Well, did he get any offers? No. Okay. <laughs> no offers or deal for Phil. And you know what? As you're going to find out in our interview... He's doing just fine. It's all good. Um, well, it, Lori went out first, I mean, with almost no commentary. Robert said, hey, this isn't a, a great idea. This is, uh, you only have 200 some odd users. Damon was out with very little content. Cuban uh, said it just looked like too much work to, to scale the business. And Mr. Wonderful, God bless him, he says, this is a bad idea, Tom. This sucks. However... They did invite him back again. So he may go on a third time, but we'll find out what happens. So if, if, if my math is correct here and the pattern holds true, <laughs> we should have him back right around the spring of 2026. <laughs> no, but I actually think this is a winner. So I, I really do. Prepwell Academy, it's awesome. He's yeah. put his heart and soul into it. It's a great idea. He has a lot of credibility in the space. We'll get into all that in the end. And interview. with Prepwell Academy, uh, you don't have to take pictures of your daughter pretending to be on the rowing team. So this is great. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get to our interview with Phil. All right, welcome. The only two-time Shark Tank uh, participant, Phil Black, welcomed outside the tank. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, we're, we are so excited for this conversation, and uh, we watched both pitches, so they're fresh in our mind, and uh, we got a bunch of questions for you. Yeah, shoot. Well, first and foremost, has anyone ever referred to you as an overachiever? <laughs> at times, at times. <laughs> I, it wasn't clear to me. I, I think I understood uh, that you went from it, a, a great educational back, uh, uh, background, obviously a student athlete, but you went from investment banking to becoming a Navy SEAL. Is that correct? Was that the sequence? That was a sequence, as, as odd as it sounds. Yes, you got it right. Can you, because as soon as I watched the show, and I actually, I didn't see you the first time with FitDeck. I actually recall seeing you the second time with PrepWell Academy, and they were kind of brutal. I think they were <laughs> unfair. I thought the idea was much better than uh, they perceived it uh, to be, and you'll tell us how well the, sure. the, the business progressed, but we'll get into that in a moment. But could you share with us the 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 mission and journey to that led you to become a Navy SEAL? Because that would be interesting to me. Yeah, I had done the traditional route and I went to Yale as an undergrad. I played basketball there and a lot of the team, a lot of my teammates ended up going on to Wall Street for whatever reason. And, I, you know, sometimes I think about what I do now, which is encouraging kids to think broadly about their careers and what they should do and what they like and what they don't dislike. I really didn't do any of that. I pretty much just fell into what a lot of Yale basketball players were doing at the time, at the uh, late 80s. And a lot of the basketball players had been on Wall Street and came back and said, hey, you should join us at this firm. You should join us at this firm. And I ended up going and, and, and applying and interviewing. 
at Goldman Sachs and went there. Some of my buddies were there and other people uh, on, on the street were there. We were all in there working 100 hour weeks. I didn't particularly love the market. I didn't particularly love numbers or, or analysis, but of course it was a very, a very hardcore professional setting. I learned a lot during my time there. And at some point in time, however, I was getting out of shape. I had not taken a day off in 18 months. You know, I was working round the clock pretty much. And there was one moment where I was walking home. I, I lived in downtown Manhattan in Battery Park City, which was about a five or 10 minute walk from 85 Broad Street, which is where, uh, where my office was. And it was probably two or three in the morning and I had my briefcase and at the time, I, it may have even been raining. I mean, the drama continues. And I think I stopped at the corner of Wall Street and Liberty Street and I had my briefcase and I, I put my briefcase down and I looked up and I realized that I hadn't, I'd been walking to and from work in the dark every day for months and months and months at a time. It didn't even acknowledge that I was outside. And I looked up and it happened to be an unbelievably clear night, a big, great starscape. And I challenged myself that night to a question that still rings in my head, which is, if you could do anything in the world, if you could be anything that you wanted to be, what would you be? And I swallowed hard and I said, well, of course, I wanna be a Navy SEAL. And I picked my briefcase back up and I said, okay, well, that's, that's the way it's gonna be then. Now at the time, mind you, this was such an outlandish idea. I went back to my, to my room and the next morning I woke up and my, my roommates abused me. They threw things at me. They told me that I was crazy because literally it was probably two and a half years after undergrad. And again, I was completely out of shape, unlike any other time in my life. I was on Wall Street. I was potentially gonna be uh, promoted to be an associate. I was uh, a fast tracker there and I was gonna make this complete switch. And it just came down to, I wasn't particularly having a great time. I didn't see a, a, a career in investment banking because it wasn't my thing. And I had always had this boyhood dream of being a Navy SEAL. I'd always been very active. I, I, I don't have any military really background or anybody in my family per se, but I like the discipline. I like the serving of the country. I like the duty. I love the water. I grew up near the water. And that seemed like a great way to combine all those things, albeit, a 180 degree out turn from from working on the street. Well, I wonder I wonder what percentage of people in the world ever uh, first of all take the time to look up and right. you know and have an epiphany when you when you get in that cadence. Uh, many people just stay an investment banker and until they put them six feet under. Uh, and then you had the epiphany and you had enough guts to actually take some action on it. So kudos, that's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. So share with us a little bit about uh, how you uh, found Shark Tank or uh, how they found you. How did, how did that go? Well, the first time around, I had been growing my Fit Deck business, which is a deck of exercise playing cards. You shuffle these cards up and you create your own custom workouts. I had been working on that business, I think at the time for five or six years. This was a home built business. My wife and I worked out of our garage, a typical story. We sucked it up and we bought 10,000 decks of cards. We, we committed that money and we didn't really have the money to commit at the time. And we, we basically went for it and we started selling decks and more decks and got good publicity. And we decided that we were gonna order another round and another round. And it turned out after five or six years, we were making pretty good money and I heard about Shark Tank. I had actually, this is funny, I had actually applied for multiple survivors and multiple apprentices. 
and I had gotten to the very, very late rounds on, on almost all of them, like never quite got onto the show for Survivor, never quite got onto The Apprentice. And then I saw the Shark Tank show and I said, hey, it's another Mark Burnett thing. I'm going to try one more. Let me try this angle. And <laughs> I, I threw my hat in the ring and I threw uh, an application together. It seemed like it was at the point in my fit deck business where I had tried a lot and I hadn't, I hadn't raised money. I was doing it out of, the, out, of the, out of the garage. There wasn't really the internet or social media like it is today. So this is a lot of going to trade shows and getting magazine articles. And this is really old school stuff. So we had, had, we had a pretty successful business, but it wasn't really, we weren't really getting that inflection point. So I figured, well, let's go for broke. Let's get on Shark Tank. We've been doing this for five or six years. Let's see what, what we could do with it. So I applied and they said, hey, we like, we like you. We like your product. Send us a videotape um, audition. So I did that and one thing led to another and went through the whole process of getting to that final round and then auditioning in front of all the producers and then getting on the show the next day. And you were at, uh, you had already sold a uh, half million decks by the time uh, of the taping of the show. And I think right. you were at somewhere, if I recall, you're at somewhere around uh, a break even and they, they were really digging. They had a challenge with your profit margins and, and they kept hinting that they felt there was a problem uh, in the business. Was there a problem in the business? Uh, was that spend just to stay, just to drive sales? Was it uh, eating you from within? Um, a little bit of both. You know, part of it was we were moving into the mobile space, which is when I went on the program, I was trying to switch over to the mobile space. That that ate up some, some of that money that was coming in in terms of the, the profit margins. And there were also some conversations that you don't hear on the show that would have elucidated some of those things that, you know, they have to, they have to make the show 11 minutes or with a segment 11 minutes or something. So there's, there's quite a bit that's left on the, on the cutting room floor that doesn't quite make a coherent story. And you have to live with that. And the same thing happened in the prep well business. We got into some metrics that, that they actually got a little bit excited about, but it didn't, it was a little bit um, complicated, a little bit sophisticated in terms of customer acquisition costs and, and run rates and burn rates. A lot of that stuff is not going to fly on, on national TV. So somehow that gets left and you're left with the more, uh, you know, the more general impression of how the business was. Did they like it? Did they not like it? Do I have conviction about it? So that's part of the, the deal of when you get on the show is you know that not everything is going to come out on air and you have to live with it. So you, the Fit Deck episode aired January of 2014. How long was it after that that you sold the Fit Deck business? And then were you selling the card business or at that point had you transitioned to an app business? We had, the app had been running for a few months by the time I got on the show. So we had a little bit of traction, but, and I, I had spent some money in that regard. I didn't know if that was going to be a viable. I mean, I think they had a good point. They're saying, and, and Mr. Wonderful Kevin said, hey, this, at the, at the time, it's hard to go back in time to 2014. At the time, mobile apps were not making a lot of money. And everyone, I think they had the, the premonition that everything's going to be free at some point. How is this going to be monetized? You should stick with your knitting, keep making those good margins, keep selling them out of your garage. So that was not, that was fair, that was fair, um, you know, fair critic, uh, critique. So the question was, well, what happens after that? I got a lot of attention after the show, just like we did with Prepwell, because despite the fact that the Sharks don't necessarily see the business as something that's uh, an ROI positive for their particular um, needs, which is, you know, cynically, 
Is it going to be an easy thing to put a little bit of money, make a couple of phone calls and have it go to the moon? That's what they're really looking for. They don't necessarily want to transition something from analog to digital. They don't necessarily want to do a lot of the brand building and the dirty work. They'd like all that stuff to be done early and then for them to make a licensing call and bing, bang, boom, they're good. So, you know, in that regard, um, the, both businesses had, had tweaks that, that needed to be made uh, in terms of the, the question on, on um, I'm losing track of, of where, where that question came from or what, what, what was I supposed to be answering? Well, no, I was just curious with FitDAC, when you see you, there's that. Uh, when, when we sold it. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah, so, so about, about three to four months after, we, again, we got a lot of attention and people were coming in. Now, of course, everybody's saying, you should try this, you should try this, you should try this. And you know, having been in business for five or six years, we had tried a lot of that stuff already, although with limited budget because we hadn't raised money. Um, but finally, a couple of people were saying, hey, we want to attach your business to our business. And the, the company that ultimately bought us, I think it was to answer the, directly answer the question, I think it was within six months, we had been um, bought out by a company that had an existing burgeoning physical uh, uh, fitness product business, a department, and they had a lot of products, but they didn't have the content that we had. And they said, hey, if we buy, if we buy you out, we're going to immediately have 40 decks of playing cards that, that we can attach to many of the products that we have. And we'd like you to develop new fit decks for a new line of products that we're going to come out with over the next 12 to 18 months. So maybe it was luck that they happened to have a business that really attached well to what we were offering. They also bought the rights to the, to the mobile app. So we developed the mobile app to some extent, but it was more of a, it was more of a, it wasn't a moneymaker per se, but it was just, we had to be in the mobile business. Otherwise somebody else was going to do it or they were going to do it better. But I think from their point of view, they were selling physical products and they liked the idea of sticking a physical product into their existing inventory of fitness products as a bundled deal. So then there's a there's a period of time that goes by uh, between FitDeck and, and PrepWell Academy getting launched. Anything remarkable happened then, or were you just back to being a firefighter waiting for the next idea to come to your mind? A little bit of both. You know, I, I took a deep breath. I had worked pretty hard for those years. So my wife and I were happy to, to get that off our plate and to unload the garage and, and, and take a little breather. <laughs> But of course, every entrepreneur's mind is always working in the background. And, and what happened was I had very young kids at the time. My kids now are, are older. And at the time, I think they were in sixth or seventh grade. And we were at playgrounds and playing fields and, and ballparks and soccer fields. And in the, in, the back, in, the, in the background, I would hear these parents having these conversations, these very angst-ridden conversations about college admissions and how such and such couldn't get into this college. And so-and-so has a 4.7 and got rejected from UCLA and so-and-so got in and how is that possible? And even though my kids weren't really in that mold at that point, I always had a little reticular activating system listening into what they were saying. And oftentimes I was pulled in and they said, hey, Phil, you went to Harvard Business School, you went to Yale, you, you got into these very highly selective schools. What does it take these days for kids to get into competitive colleges? It's crazy out there. Now, granted, I had been away from the college admissions process and, and applying myself for many, many years, but I didn't really have a great answer. So I said, yeah, hold that thought. Let me get back to you. I started looking into it. I was intrigued by it. I went back to college to get credentialed in college admissions counseling. And I said to myself, well, I have kids. I have four sons coming up the ranks. Maybe there's something that I could do here that would not only help me, but that would help other people. 
And then I sat back like, like any good entrepreneur and said, well, what, what am I good at and what do I like? Because there's a lot of opportunities that came up, particularly after selling the business. That, and, and I don't know if you guys recall, but I was invited back after I left the Fit Deck episode. So tons of people were calling me saying, come on, we, uh, let, me, let me take you on with this product and this product and this product. So I had a pretty good deal flow of products, but none of them, none of them really aligned with my passions and what I cared about. And I didn't want to hook myself to a wagon that I didn't really care about. So I, I, I literally sat back and said, well, let me take out a yellow pad of paper and write down the things that I'm good at and the things that I liked. And as I wrote them down, what my superpower was, uh, you know, for lack of a better term. And what I came up with was I have a very odd knack to get into very highly selective programs, whether it's as a, as a recruited athlete getting into undergraduate or business school or becoming a Navy SEAL or getting onto Shark Tank twice or, um, you know, becoming a firefighter. All these things are being an entrepreneur in and of itself. All these things are very, I don't want to say high risk, but they're very highly selective programs, activities. So I thought to myself, well, what have I done? I'm, I'm an average Joe. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I'm not the best athlete. I don't have come from parents with money. I don't have any big legacy. I'm just your average Joe Blow that happens to prepare well for these types of things and understand what it takes to get into these programs. So I figure, you know, if I've done this serially three or four or five times for some of the world's hardest things to do, maybe I could take all of that knowledge and create a curriculum and then offer that curriculum to kids in high school who need those yeah. types of life lessons to leverage to get into a good college or a college that's right for them, a good fit college. And then as in my case, you use those life lessons and you use some of those skills to step stone all your way up, up and through your career, whether it's becoming a doctor and doing the same thing for 30 years, or like me, bouncing around and doing seven things in eight years. Either way, the principles are the same. So that's when the light bulb came off and said, maybe I should make a business out of helping students make these life decisions to put them on a path that's going to give them the confidence and the life skills to basically do whatever they want. So I started teaching kids. I, I, I invited kids to the church and I had groups of 20 kids, then 30 kids, then 50 kids. And ultimately it started becoming another activity that parents had to drive their kids to. And, and I couldn't really scale it, of course, because it was only, there's only so many kids I could reach. This is when online learning started to really take form. So another light bulb off and I said, well, I have all this curriculum for four years. Why don't I condense all of that, put it online and then make that available to anyone in the country who wants to listen to what I have to say. And thus was born Prepo Academy Online. And so then what's the timeline here? How long were you doing that before you reached out? I'm assuming you reached out to Shark Tank. And then when did you film and when did you air? Yeah, I reached out to them. It was probably two years into the PrepWell business, which was still pretty in its incipient stages. But I knew that it was hard to get on Shark Tank, even though in my mind, I felt like I had the, 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 the get back on Shark Tank ticket. They actually didn't bite on that ticket for, for a few years. And this is a story that I tell people that even though in my mind I said, hey, and, I, and when I sent in my application, I said, hey, you guys said that if I came up with another idea, I could come back on, remember? Nope, nope, nope. So for, I think it was three or four years, they said no. And I don't know what happened, but another year, and I just kept going back just because I thought, <laughs> and then the business was getting more and more successful. 
So I'm saying, well, I'm glad I didn't get on back then because it was really early then. But now we've actually have some good traction. We've we've worked out some of the some of the details on the online learning and the education. We have a, a pretty good backstory. So anyway, the I think it was the fourth time. So about five years into the business, they finally said, hey, we want you back on. We think this will be a good story. My kids were of the age of them going through this college admissions process. So they came on the show with me, as you guys saw, that that made it. I think a bit of a of a human interest story, which was fun. And ultimately, so I think it was probably five years between selling Fit Deck and ultimately trying and then eventually getting on. So when the episode aired, what were the first 48 hours or so like afterwards um, in terms of prep well? Did did you see a spike? We definitely saw a spike. And I think part of it in uh, in honesty is just to go in the in the in the go back machine. This was April of 2019. This was about a month into the pandemic. So lo and behold, schools are shut down. Everybody's been home for four weeks in lockdown. Everybody's watching TV and it's about college admissions, at which point, I don't know if you guys remember the the, uh, the Varsity Blues drama that happened yeah. several months before that. So there was a confluence of, of um, current events, along with this pandemic, along with being everybody at home, along with people watching their favorite comfort shows. So we did get a lot of attention. We did get a lot of people coming to the website. Basically, the same thing happened. A lot of people came to the website. A lot of people signed up. A lot of people said, no, you should do this. No, you should do this. No, you should do this. Um, so in that regard, it was fun. One of the fun things for my kids was to, you know, the, the, we live in, in San Diego on the east, on the West Coast. So when the show airs on the East Coast, they have a lot of friends on the East Coast because we spend a lot of time in the summers in Connecticut. So their social media started exploding as soon as it started on the East Coast. And there was a huge spike and they were getting followers. And, and uh, that, that was very exciting for them. And then, of course, it came across to Mountain Mountain Time and or Central Time. And then it eventually came to our time. So we would get these huge spikes at every time a new time zone would air the show. Uh, so ultimately, it, it was a very positive experience, although, you know, of course, at, at the end, I didn't get a show, I uh, didn't get a deal, uh, spoiler alert, but it was still a great, a great time, great opportunity. A lot of people, um, we, we taped the show in June, which was a long time before it actually aired in April. So there was a big lag between when they were hearing about this college admissions, pre-Varsity Blues, pre-pandemic, now that there's a pandemic and now that it's been going on for almost a year, this online virtual learning stuff is is everyday stuff. This is not something a year and a half ago that was like, oh, I don't know if kids are really going to go online. I don't know if they care about it that much. Nowadays, it's 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 almost a, it's almost mandatory in a lot of places. And we even have some enterprise level products going out now where schools are calling us saying, hey, we we can't have our college admissions parent night anymore. Our guidance counselors can only do so much from home. We're not able to meet them in classrooms. Can we roll out your entire curriculum to our high school, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade? So again, I don't want to take credit for that because some of that is is on the heels of a, of a of really bad news. But there are some there are some industries, there are some categories that have been getting a bump from that. And you know, in, in my defense, it is good information getting to people that otherwise wouldn't have it. You know, there's it's interesting. You didn't get a deal that kind of took some shots at you that uh, again I felt were unfair. You had 220 users, paid users going in. You had some momentum. You'd done, a, in my opinion, a pretty good job. We know how tough the subscription business uh, can be. 
Uh, what were some of the dynamics that, in your opinion, that, that and factors that led to them not getting it, not seeing it? Well, I'm going to start off blaming myself first because it's easy to point the finger at other people. So I, I, apparently I didn't do a great job of selling the pain that parents were feeling. I tried to maybe make it too much of a feel-good story and a utilitarian story as opposed to there's actual problems out here. Parents are freaked out. They don't know what to do. And it's so ex school is so expensive now. They don't want to make a big mistake. And I think what, what's telling is a little anecdote that did not air. And that's when Mark Cuban looked at me and said, Phil, I just don't get it. I have a 16-year-old. She's studying for the SAT. She's in all kinds of extracurricular. She plays sports. She's got this all dialed in. And I said, Mark, you're a billionaire. You have everything at your disposal at any given time, SAT prep, anything she wants at any time, I'm sure. That's not what the average man and woman and family in the United States is going through. So either, either I misunderstood or underestimated the lack of sympathy that they would have because he was the only one that had a student, what I call in the breach, somebody that is supposedly living through this process. But what didn't occur to me, and, and when I think back on it, like, duh, he doesn't have, he's not in the same financial situation. He's not feeling the pain and the financial squeeze. And because, and his daughter is going to probably do whatever she wants at any time. And she's not going to feel like she has the pressure to go to this school or should she go to this school? And is it worth the price? All of these things did not really lay bare on, on in, you know, in Mark's mind. And of course, the other sharks don't have kids who are in that zone either. So I think it was a combination of me underestimating and not really. And, and I did make a little bit of those of that pitch that di that didn't really make it. But for some reason, either uh, either I wasn't articulate enough or it wasn't it wasn't adding to the narrative or whatever it might be. But I was disappointed that I wasn't able to convince them because I live and breathe it every day. And I had been doing it for four or five years. And, and I'm thinking to myself, Mark, this is this is not the experience of your average person. Ha have some self-awareness, look around and see what other, what's happening with other people. So that was that was part of the problem. And then. Everybody else is looking to Mark like, well, he has a 16-year-old. And because a lot of people, they defer to the person who have the subject, who has the subject matter expertise. When there's something fashion related, everybody looks at Damon. When there's something QVC, everybody looks at, at, at Lori and they take her word for it. So everybody looked at, at, uh, at Mark and he poo-pooed it like, hey, this doesn't seem like it's that big a deal. And then that, that lost a lot of steam because they were, they were taking his word for it. So and no and, and and the other thing I'll add uh, to be to be very fair it's a very tough business not only on the subscription side but to convince a 15 year old a 16 year old and to convince their parents to think 3 or 4 years ahead that is a very very tough road to hoe so again there's some there are some structural and there are some psychological uh, challenges and barriers and, and the other thing that, that works against me, especially being on Shark Tank is, I call this, this is the antiviral service. And what I mean by that is when, because I have a lot of parents and testimonials that the parents love it, but they're not talking about it on Facebook. They're not talking about it to their friends because they don't want their friends to get in on it because their friends have kids who are going to compete against their kids. Yeah. So it's like, it's the anti of what, hey, look at these slippers that I have. And then every person gets on their Facebook page and that you should get these slippers and then everybody buys them because they want to they want to be known as the person who introduced this great program service product 
to all of their friends and they get a lot of social credit for that. The dynamic when it comes to trying to get your kid ahead is not really that conducive to spreading, spreading the word far and wide. And the other thing, which is even tougher is a lot of kids have had a lot of great experiences with PrepWell. They get into great schools, but when their parents put their kid with their, their college t-shirt on Facebook, they don't give me the credit, they take the credit because they're the parents. So I'm really, you know, I'm, 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 it's an uphill battle. I don't mind it. I still love it because I don't really, I don't want to take the credit per se. I just want to prepare. I just want to give the kids the tools and the preparation to go do it on their own. Some people don't have parents who are that into it or, or, uh, or that supportive or even have even had gone to college. So I just like the idea of, of being somebody who can put that knowledge out there. And if the business doesn't become the next Facebook, I'm happy with that. So well, there, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of children right now, uh, unfortunately, that are being raised by the internet. So that's not necessarily a positive thing, but it is what it is. And at least prep well is is there. Before we get off the tank, I want to ask one more question. At the very end, they did take some shots at you, but at the very end, Mr. Wonderful invited you back on again <laughs> for a third time, right. uh, which obviously may or may not happen. But if invited, would you go back on again? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I really appreciated that at the last minute because I think, and again, I remember what it was when I was there. And then I, I actually don't even recall exactly what aired uh, because I have two different films going on in the back of my mind. So they did take a couple shots, but they were they were extremely um, they they were very what's the word they were very congratulatory and they loved my family and and I was a firefighter and a hero and none of that stuff made air so that they were actually you saw a lot of the 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 pot shots which was okay but then at the end they did show that hey you can come back for a third time which is unprecedented no one's ever been back for a third time a few people have been back a second time but not for a business that that they created a second time. They they were brought in with another entity. As far as I know, they were brought in with another entity as like a spokesperson. But I'm the only, as far as I know, I'm the only person who came back with a brand new business. One was a product, one was a service started by me from scratch, from my garage. So the um, what happened after this, this one aired and everybody saw that I got a third one is of course I get another cascade of take me on, take me on. I've got this product, I've got that product. So I had to wade through a lot of those emails but what's even more interesting is my sons, of course, who were there, they're like, dad, you're done. You obviously can't do this. Let me get a product. I'll take it on. Take me with you. So I have four sons and they're all battling right now, looking for business ideas, creating things because they want dad to bring them on and for them to step in front of me and say, hey, my dad couldn't do it. I'm here. I'm going to finally make this the black family get a deal on Shark Tank. So you're uh, raising four future entrepreneurs. Exactly. So uh, I can't I can't deny, uh, confirm nor deny whether there's something in the works now, but I can tell you that that they're feverish, feverishly pitching me and thinking about things to to potentially hopefully get on again. You know, they're going to they're going to tell you right before you go out, they're going to say, you know, Dad, I, I think you're bad luck. Why don't you hang out in the exactly. back here and let us handle it? <laughs> yeah, they'll kick me to the curb. So. Uh, as we as we wrap up, walk us through what the business is now. So, what ages are you serving? How are you helping them? Uh, how are people consuming what it is that you're doing? Yeah, the the model hasn't changed all that much, especially in terms of the the target market, which again, as I, as I said, has some inherent uh, inherent challenges. 
but I still serve the, the, I start out with the younger group, the ninth and 10th graders, because I really like to help kids who are high aspiration, high potential. Those kids normally know their high aspiration, high potential before 11th and 12th grade, when most people wake up to, they, they realize that they have to take the SAT and, oh, the SAT means college. Oh, let me start thinking about college. I normally, and kids normally gravitate to me who in ninth or 10th grade, either because they have parents who have high expectations or they have a brother or sister who've gone through this or they have a role model or they're, they're super aspirational on their own, whatever the case may be. And they say to themselves, I need a guide. I need a, a Sherpa. I need a, a subject matter expert early who's going to prepare me so that in 11th grade, the middle of 11th grade, I've already positioned myself. I've gotten the leadership. I've taken the right classes. I've done great things over the summer. I've gotten the right letters of recommendation. If you wait until the middle of 11th grade, it's 70% of your, of your body of work that goes on your application is already done because senior year, you're not really, your application goes in the beginning of senior year. So that's a dead year. So everything that you're working on that goes on the application is basically freshman, sophomore, and junior year. And if you don't think about this till the middle of that third year and everything that you've done before that wasn't correct, then you really have no chance. So the people that I like to serve are parents who are supportive. They don't have the time or the expertise to give their kids what they really want, which is that mentorship and the guidance. And they start in ninth or 10th grade. They, they want to go to a top school. They want to go to a, um, a, a highly selective college university. They want to play sports in college. They want to go to a military service academy. And those are the types of kids who gravitate toward me. That's the service that, uh, that I provide. And it's really been exciting for me this year because I have twin seniors who are going through this process in real time. So, I mean, now, because I've been doing this for years, not necessarily having kids on my own going through this, but now my two twins have gone through this whole process from soup to nuts. They've applied early. They've gotten into great colleges. So now I'm even more confident. I'm even more excited about, almost. I feel like I've proven the case because, of course, my poor kids have lived through this for four years. They hear me on phone calls. They hear me talking to all their friends. And, and they've done this early on, and it's really paid off for them. So hopefully that will, you know, some of those lessons I learned in real time will translate to everybody else who joins. Well, you're, you're doing an incredible service because, you know, I, I know from how important college was for me. I mean, you're, you're, by putting them in the right spot and getting their head in the right place, you're changing the trajectory of their life. And it's such important work. And, and I think, you know, more students are, able to realize their potential because of the foundation you're laying for them in that ninth and 10th grade and, and getting them prepped for this stuff. So it's fantastic. Um, where can, uh, what's the web address? And then uh, is there any social media accounts that people can follow as well? Yeah, the website is, is prepwellacademy.com. And that's for preparing well for, for life, not only college, but for life. And, and from what you said, it, that strike that really strikes a chord because there are some kids who are not getting into their top schools, but I feel like I've prepared them so well that they're inoculated from that because they've learned the lessons. And if you're you, not, everyone's going to get lucky. Not everyone's going to get their top choice, but they know they'll eventually get into a good school and they're going to take all those lessons and take those into their next job, their next internship, getting into grad school. So it's not even about getting into the perfect dream school. It's about the lessons and the undergirding and the foundations. So prepalacademy.com would be a great spot to go. Uh, I'm on Instagram, uh, mostly Instagram and Facebook. 
And then I've been doing a lot of podcasting myself. So we're on, I think, episode 70 or so. So if people want to get a little taste, they're, they're 20 minute episodes. If people want to get a little taste of how I approach this business, and it, it gives you a little sneak peek into what you're going to get every week through the videos, but allows them to, to test drive it by listening to the podcast. They can go to a title that resonates with them, whether it's their kids of an athlete or they want to go to an Ivy League school or they want to go to the Naval Academy or whatever it might be. They can pick and choose and hopefully get a good flavor for it. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. This was great. Um, we're, we're always happy to hear when, despite not getting a deal, uh, things work out in the end. So uh, keep doing the great work that you're doing. And uh, I'm sure many people listening to this will uh, check you out when the uh, time is right for that uh, wonderful ninth and 10th grade uh, start college prep phase for all of us. So thank you so much. We uh, greatly appreciate your time, Phil. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Ah, uh, what a great interview. Loved it. All right. Very cool, man. As we always do, we do our little uh, chalk talk whiteboard sessions here. Post-game. Post-game. We like maybe we'll get we need like a, a voiceover like yeah. post-game. Post-game. Okay. So we need someone that's got like a deep manly voice because neither of us do. <laughs> I don't have a, okay. I so, hate my voice. You know, that's why I did. I never wanted to do a podcast because I hate when I listen to my voice record. I hate it. I think everyone hates their voice when they hear it. I don't know. Well, you know, that's actually some of the feedback that we got on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. They didn't like your voice. <laughs> I should and just. Your podcast is you know great. But Joe's got a real weird voice. I should just abandon this podcast. No, you should. No, you, you should. <laughs> no. I, I like having you as a co-host. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm the color man. You're yeah. the play-by-play -play man. That's fine. <laughs> so let's go through our recap of this. There were some really good lessons. Uh, but no, we always like to share what we learned from the entrepreneur, what those entrepreneurs listening can take from this. What do you have for us, Joe? I call them nuggets. So here's a few nuggets. One of the things I, I realized when I listened I to... I hear your voice too, actually. <laughs> now that I'm listening to it. You have to listen to it all day. Uh, all These day. people only have no, to listen no, you to it want, for a no, few minutes. Not, you know, all day, but only about 80% of the time. You know, when you we're talking to people, yeah, when we're talking to people, they can get a word in, so uh, can I sometimes. And when you show up with, like, Joe canceling headphones, that's when I... Uh, I'm just kidding. Oh, don't touch me. Anyway. He does that to me during Zooms. <laughs> if he has a question, he leans over. I said, just, just ask it. Okay. So the thing that really impressed me about this gentleman is he was willing to walk away from something. He was uh, an investment banker. He had a great job and he had a calling uh, or uh, a purpose-driven calling to become a Navy SEAL. Just impressed by that. I just, there's a lesson there, but there's also something that he mentioned that I made note of that I call genius work. I like mm. people to find their genius work. And he asked two questions of himself that I've often asked and you've often asked when we're coaching or mentoring someone. And he said it this way. He said, I asked myself, Two questions. What am I good at and what do I like doing? And so that obviously led him and directed him uh, during his life. So I think those are two great questions. What am I good at and what do I like doing? Um, one of the other lessons and then I'll kick well, it off. Well, no, his superpower was, did he say, he called it his superpower, but he said he was really good at getting admitted to things. Yeah, and, that, no, and that's where yeah. and that's where this uh, the you know the business yeah. I use like I, I'm really good at getting admitted to things. Yale, Harvard, Navy Shark Tank, Shark Tank twice. Shark Tank twice. Yeah. 
Yeah, he is good at getting into stuff. So that's where the that's where his genius work led him to Prepwell Academy. Right. Yeah. On Prepwell, on the subject of Prepwell, one of the things that he self-analyzed was that during the show, during the Shark Tank episode in front of the sharks, if he had to go back and do it again, he would have really, really hit the pain points. And I think that's a great mm-hmm. message for everyone. Does our message, does our pitch, does our elevator speech really talk about the pain points? In other words, why the product or the solution you offer matters to them? couple things I had, uh, you know, first of all, he asked himself at one point a very powerful question, and it was, if you could be anything in the world, what would you be? Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Sit sit there in silence and ask yourself that question and think about what comes out or write it down on a piece of paper. I would have been a shooting guard for the Lakers. You can't be that, though. If you could be anything in the world, that's not possible. Okay. okay. I would have been a shortstop for the Dodgers. Okay. <laughs> so I love that question. I thought that was fantastic. Was and that's what question. led him to be a Navy SEAL. Um, we talked a little bit about sale and acquisition of companies. And, and, you know, he said it's really important to find a strategic fit or a gap. So he sold the cards. Yeah. And, and, and really the idea was find a company where your business fits them or it's a gap or it's a, a area they want to get into it's a great strategic play exactly right um i also thought this was interesting and this is something for for the entrepreneurs listening to think about this product is antiviral. it's almost like people didn't want anyone else to know because they didn't want to give other kids an advantage that were trying to get into the same school right so it's a really you know some products it's like oh i bought this i love it it's the greatest thing in the world this thing it's like no one wants to tell anyone about until the youngest kids out of the house and <laughs> that's not, challenging yeah you're not it's it, it's not something that's going to be shared so, so so exactly so in a tough to share business how do you do that I mean, it'd be like if you were, uh, I don't know, marriage counselor. It's like, well, yeah, you, you don't go to the golf course. Oh, yeah, I got I got the best one for you. you got you know, it's it's a tough thing to yeah. share. You just keep right? it to yourself. Yeah, you just keep it to yourself. So how do you how do you fix a business that is antiviral? I thought that was a very interesting talking point. Um, and look, this is no different than many of the entrepreneurs were interviewing his story is one of perseverance didn't take no for an answer kicked down some doors got admitted to a lot of different things um you know went on shark tank didn't get a deal turned around sold that business and walked back in didn't get a deal again and now he's scaling this business and i and i love it and i have no doubt that they're going to be successful and phil black will see you back on shark tank for a third time we will (laughs) and then we'll have you back on outside the tank So this was a fun episode. Um, As always, if you are an entrepreneur that's trying to scale your business and want to do so with other peer entrepreneurs in a really cool virtual environment, go to growth10.com. We'd love to help you out and find the right tribe for you. Um, We appreciate you. By the way, they can hit a button and chat with us for a few minutes. That's right. They can. (laughs) They can. And uh, good luck getting a word in when when Joe's on. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, man. Look, you've you've been around the block so many times. Then I have gray hair. You're so old. (laughs) You have so much wisdom. So these these entrepreneurs Uh, can gain so much from you. And and you've made so many mistakes. I did. I made every mistake in the book. 
made a ton of mistakes. That's how I. No, I'm That's not. why we've written our book, Entrepreneurial Landmines, because Joe yeah. Joe has stepped on all of them. It's coming out soon, and we don't say that because we're trying to sell books. We say that because. We want you to go sign up for the free copy yeah. on OutsideTheTank.com, and then that way, as soon as it's released, you'll get an electronic copy of it. We just want people to read it. There are 30 different landmines that entrepreneurs step on, and it hurts, stunts, or prevents their growth, and we want to share those. I'm just going to keep talking until I hope no, you get one. I, I, I see you want to talk, <laughs> and I'm just going to keep talking. Boy, I wish if you're listening, watch us on YouTube. I'm trying to I'm trying to jump in, but we want entrepreneurs to blow up in a good way, yes. not a bad way. <laughs> I don't think that should be the tagline for the book. All right. Hey, you know what? I'll, I'll let you in behind the scenes. It's been a long day. Yes. Joe, Joe and I yes. spent about nine hours on Zoom, but we needed to make sure we got the uh, beginning and ending of this uh organized so our day is now over we're burnt out but i'll tell you when you're doing something you love it's a blast and we're having a blast helping entrepreneurs thanks for listening we'll see you next week